Hello and welcome back to Flights to Allegasia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? Oh, what are you up to? I'm up to nothing, literally. Okay. All right. Uh, welcome back to Flights to Allegasia, because clearly Ari is just going to think everything is a trick or something. As we are finishing up the book, this is probably our second to last section. Uh, I will be trying to get Paulini back on the show, too. Uh, with that being said, thank you everyone for listening and being a part of it as we join, as our journey is, I would say coming to an end, but I really believe the fourth book might take us another year. So we have about another year worth of content. So we're nowhere near the end. From this specific series. Yeah. So we're nowhere near the end. With that being said, uh, we are still trying to go strong in terms of our weekly stuff. Nothing's changing. Uh, Armin's has some summer jobs. So we're going to try and keep on top of keeping up with recordings and editing and getting it out on time. Uh, I don't think there's much more to say. I don't really have any crazy summer plans uh, in terms of uh, a week where I might need to take off. I know in August, uh, that'll be a clusterfuck probably in terms of when we can record and stuff just because of I got a beach trip in August and stuff like that but yeah. I mean until then I really don't have anything that goes crazy that's crazy going on I don't think Armin does either yeah so we should be able to jump right into the fourth book right after next week or the week after hopefully Polina is able to get on before we start the fourth book yeah I don't think there's much else to say do you have any news that you want to share Armin? no no not really uh- <laughs> awesome like Chip said, we're just kind of messing around. I'm working. Chip's working. We're all reviving. I mean, that's pretty much just how it is. We're vibing. We're really glad we're y'all are tuned in as usual. Thank you, as hey. always, for listening and for your support. Yes, yes, yes. Um, with that being said, though, um, just like last section, I, I, I've read it and I'm sitting here. And if it wasn't Tuesday before we actually had to post it, I'd probably say let's finish the book. But this is going to be another session where there's not a lot to talk about. There definitely is a couple of things um, that I definitely wanted to like point out. But for the most part, it's probably another short episode um, yeah. on our end. So we apologize for that. But I'm going to let Armin take it away. All right. So we're starting out with chapters 50 and 51, Mind Over Metal and a Rider in Full. Uh, so as we're starting off, if y'all remember correctly, Sephira has just enacted a clusterfuck with an ancient power of a forest and pissed yeah. off a wood tree or whatever the fuck that is. Um, she pissed off the Minoa tree and they have the bright steel and now uh, they have taken it back to Runon to make that bright steel into a sword. So we're starting off with Mind Over Metal and that process, which really, I mean, there's not really much to say about the process of making the blade, although I will say, I will say, First of all, if you aren't reading along with us, honestly, I would say go back and like read this description. It's like the beginning of the chapter, but like the whole description of making the sword, it's pretty fucking cool. It is really cool. Like, I will say, like, if you're if you're not exactly reading along with us, I would just like well, go back and read this section. It's actually pretty awesome, especially in terms of how it's uh, uh, just how it's laid out and how um, much information and detail value he puts into the actual actions. Exactly. Um, you know, it's one of those moments again where we see how much research he has done around a certain event that doesn't really 
like you could just say it was made or like he went to sleep and it was made in the morning. You know, you could say that, but like, yeah, I guess it showed that Polini really put some research and time and effort into looking up what could be done around to be making a blade. And if I remember correctly, he has made things with the forge himself. Like Pellini has. I don't know that. And so, uh, I mean, we could double check, one. hopefully, uh, once he gets back on the podcast. Uh, I'm pretty sure That'd he be has. A good question to ask. I'm yeah. pretty sure he has used a forge and made a blade of, uh, of his own before. Yeah. Which is just, it was just really cool because he's, because it's a very in depth description. And um, I, I'm not honestly familiar enough with the process of swordsmithing to like know if it's entirely accurate i mean i imagine me it would just given palini's nature yeah but um i will say uh two things one just just some fun facts that I, this this was just going through my head i was reading this and that's kind of showing how much of a nerd i am but um so uh runon's line at the beginning uh when she says if it's beautiful it's because it functions well um that idea, the idea that beauty comes from functionality was actually like a pinnacle of, uh, or it was a staple, rather than a pinnacle, it was a staple of uh, a lot of ancient cultures, particularly Greek culture. And the actual term we use for that is ideality. So it's, it's the idea of something is the most beautiful if it serves, if it embodies its true nature, its true function the most. So artists, sculptors, architects, um, people in those times in ancient Greek, Egyptian, and uh, some uh, uh, ancient Eastern cultures would seek to make something the most thing that it is. Like the goal to make it a beautiful table, to make it the most table-esque table that there is, uh, to embody the nature of a table. So yeah, fun uh, fun line there. So it's all about um, just how well the function, like the better the function, yeah. the more beautiful. Okay, pretty much. Like the more the more beautiful it is. The, the more the more it functions and suits its nature, then the more beautiful it is. Oh, um, right. Just just a little fun fact for the day, and um, also another fun fact for the day, uh, which is a little bit down the line. But um, when Runan is taking the when she smiths the metal rods and starts folding them together, right, uh, constant and constantly folding them together and uh, beating them up and folding them together again, it's actually a very popular and expensive technique used to make uh, Japanese katanas. In, in uh, what? katanas, the uh, you've definitely seen. They're like the stereotypical Japanese sword. Oh, slightly like curved. Sword? Yeah. Okay. And most other most other uh, ancient Japanese weapons, they use it so that um, twisting the rod together makes their uh, uh, it makes the sword much sharper or much more durable and much harder, and therefore much able more able to take a sharper edge. And um, actually, a lot of Eastern cultures did this, including uh, actually Damascus in the Middle East was famous for doing this as well. That's a cool little fact. Huh. Um, Armin coming out of, with history facts. Yeah. In terms of the actual plot, there's an interesting description of Runon's, of Runon's mind, which I wanted to get your opinion on. Okay. If you remember anything at all. Because, like, Aragon is he's a little freaked out by what he senses when she sort of uh enters his mind and when she sort of takes you yeah. know takes things over by what i forgot the actual description but it's almost it's a little off-putting and eerie it's not what he expected which i, I was wondering if it's just another red herring or like an actual hint to something i mean i uh, 
I wonder if it's, I mean, in my head, it has just, it just has to do with how long she's lived and she's lived a very long life and she has seen so many different things in the world. And a part of those things in the world that she has seen is she has helped cause not directly, but through her actions provided a sword for all this like, you know? And so maybe it's, in my head, there's a possibility in my head where it might feel eerie uh, uh, or even he doesn't know how to describe it, but maybe empty in a sense where like she's tried to forgotten some of the mm-hmm. actions or forgotten some memories, uh, very similar to how like Dumbledore gets his wand out and uses like throws into the pensieve and all that jazz. But it, it, it's, it's one of those things where there's a possibility where I think she might've screwed with her own memory maybe to not necessarily forget what has happened or what has occurred, but to try and not take so much blame. Because I would feel if I had made that sword as good as it was, as the rock is, I would feel blamed, not blamed in terms of the actions of the person who wielded it, but that sword is so powerful and so strong of its own, anyone who has it with bad intentions could use it against anything. And so maybe it's just one of those things where she felt bad and she tried to change it in her head but that's that's even farther out there than thinking it's just a red hair I, I, was, I was about to say you took that a lot further than i was going to that was in a direction i was not expecting i mean no that's that's entirely fair and possible then again you're more likely to remember than i am <laughs> uh, yeah these little things that he mentions every now and then they just strike me as odd and then they either amount to something or they amount to nothing with no particular like regularity yeah but uh also i'm sorry my reaction to seeing the other werecat and then the two elven children who i believe were mentioned beforehand in like book two i was like please no no more unexplained characters and creepy children i'm looking at you elva we've had enough of (laughs) y'all i mean but it's cool to see like the children. I mean, like, I guess in that culture and elf fantasy, we never see, we never really get an elven child. No. Right? No, like right. In, in all of fantasy, I can't think of a time when we actually got a description of one. We might have seen them, possibly, when they all leave Rivendell and they go, you know, like, I, I there's a possibility where that. Uh, like where we see them in the movie, but we never, if I remember correctly, I never get a description with them in the books. That's definitely something I'm going to have to look for when I reread. Yeah. Because I feel like the, the level of detail in Lord of the Rings, I, I can't remember if there's a mention of elf children. Yeah, but none, you're argument. right, none particularly strike my mind. And we always think of elves as like ancient old. So like, yeah. we always assume all elves are old. Yeah. So I don't know if that's just like a bad assumption or or something, but. Yeah, I, I definitely hear you. We have enough weird creatures, not creatures, but weird children, Elva, yeah. uh, to deal with to not yeah. have to add a couple more. Also, like I was, I was a little confused by the timing of this because I would have thought that they would have showed up when when Noah Tree was getting attacked, and it would, like being a bit more ominous. Well, it's not that they didn't. I think a lot of elves showed up when the Noah Tree was getting attacked. Yeah, but like he only mentions them here. Yeah, but are you really gonna pay attention to who's around you when your dragon's lighting fire and you're being threatened to die and having to interrupt the power, most powerful ancient tree in the forest? 
I mean, if they're bad enough at you. Also, he oh. shouldn't have been paying attention now. He's making a sword out of a super rare metal <laughs> <laughs> while being possessed. So, I mean, no, it's, I, fair. it's fair. just, uh, no, it's was, it was another one of those, so many of these ones really. I'm just thinking, okay, are we going anywhere with this? Or are we not going anywhere with yeah. this? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, what, what, what should I devote my time into trying to figure out? It's uh, essentially the game I have to play with Pally. Yeah. Moving on to further in the section, I did love all of Sephira's utterly ridiculous names for the sword. Those are uh, those are those are good. And we we moved on to a rider in full, and he he gets the sword, he names the sword. He names the sword fire, which is cool. That is cool. undoubtedly it's undoubtedly cool. Go for it. I'll let you go first. <laughs> I was less going to critique the sword's name and more the idea that he's a full rider because I kid you not, he had he, he had Zarok when he had finished his training, or not finished his training, but when he had finished the beginning of his training in Elismera, right? right? Uh-huh. And he didn't even know that Zarok wasn't the sword. And right. if he wasn't a rider then, and he's done literally fucking nothing since then <laughs> and now he has another sword i don't think that qualifies him as a full rider just saying if he's made hey, no progress he's learned to make objects time, disappear and reappear in a different place okay so he's learned one thing <laughs> in over 800 around a thousand pages I believe he has learned a little bit in terms he's learned of a lot. He's, lear- he's, he's learned, learned he's learned to grow and politically yes. he's learned. But yes, I do hear you. In terms of his own training as a writer, yeah. It's not like he learned a new technique or learned new flying moves or but I think yeah. I mean I really do think near the closer to the ends of this section that we're reading when you know or Mystic Lager talk about how they believe that he is you know, as much, taught him as much as they could. Like everything else they could teach him is mainly just like little things such as making things disappear and reappear that almost anyone could. Yeah, it makes sense that he is almost a full writer and that he should be the one to take on the obligation of training another writer. Not saying he can do as yeah. well. And we'll get to later on how they're going to help him anyway. But I, my beef is more of the sword itself. In terms of, okay. you're going to tell me that he holds it and he immediately figures out the true name of a sword. I mean, I guess a sword, it's not like another person or anything, but this is not the first time, but the second time he's figured out a true name. Now, granted, he wasn't looking for either of them. Like, he's I mean, figured out Sloan's. Maybe that's the key. He just he just all-powerfully knows the true names, but well, he I mean, can't like, know his own. I think it's, I think it's possible that um, in terms of the true name thing, I think it's possible that it's actually easier to find out than implied. Because nobody ever told us it was incredibly difficult. We assume that it is because it's a complex magical thing and it has big, big ramifications. But like, I mean, I, I get where you're. I get. I completely get where you're coming from with that. But like, there's no law in this book so far that says it has to be difficult. Although, yes, it is very convenient, and the, the sword bursting into flames is pretty cool. 
I mean, I like how he drops it. At least he drops it. And then Runin <laughs> scolds him. That's, I mean, that was pretty funny. I will say that. But yeah. it, it, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is this sword more powerful than him? Because the sword immediately takes his energy to light itself on fire without him trying to. Does that make sense? Like he it just does. says the magic word, but he doesn't try and draw the magic. He just says it and the sword catches on fire. So like in my head, is the sword just gonna like drain him of his power? Like I I don't know. I see where you're coming from. I think it's more so the explanation that uh Renan gave him, which was uh that it's so like personal that like when you made it even though he didn't make it. Um, but, uh, like, there already is a magical connection between him and the sword because he had to use so much magic to make it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, it's like, I get the connection there. Like, it's, it's, it's a bit of a stretch, but it's not that bad. Um, at least in my mind. My, my, my beef's more, more with just, like, Ryder in full. He, he's, in terms of combat, he's practiced once. In terms of magic, he's practiced twice. And in terms of uh, in terms of literally anything else that has to do with actually being a writer, he's done some of it politically, and he's he's got plenty of practice writing Sephira. Yeah, but not like that's combat, it. It's just like speed. That's all he's done since fighting. I don't think. Rotog, it, I mean, maybe maybe we're reading. It. I mean, maybe we're reading it more into writer full as in his training, but we should just be reading it as in he has his own sword. It's his, yeah. and that is like yeah. the final object, quote unquote, that a writer is supposed to obtain yeah. as a writer. In terms of the other things that have happened, so let me think. Murtog and Thorn got stronger, and they found out why. The Vard are on the counteroffensive. He Wars did save Katrina. Katrina saved. Razak dead. I'm going to lop that in with Katrina saved. It was the same scene. Slow. Same scene. Alright, fine. Four things have happened in this entire book. Then Oric became king. I already said that one. Dwarf's oh, got yeah. a new king. Yeah. That was number three. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um and Elva. I, I guess Elva should be should be loaded in there yeah, with, with plot point. Oh, it's unresolved. But anyway. So I did, I did find it incredibly funny that he dropped it just because anytime, anytime there's an auspicious moment where you hold something aloft, you have to drop it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just pinnacle of humanity right there. You, if something's really important and you're not supposed to drop it for ceremony, it will be dropped at some point. Like, it's just, it, it's the laws of nature. It has yeah. to be. You got anything else on these first two chapters? I think I think before we move on, I really want to say that it's. I was expecting a little bit more in terms of how he felt with the sword in his hand. You give all this um, nothing, nothing wrong, but he talks about how like how much he misses the rock. Yeah. Right, and, and he gets his own sword that is pretty much you know personally made, personally engraved, and everything. And it, it's it maybe it's not maybe he just hasn't used it in terms of like a. He, he, he cut down some rods, good for him. But he hasn't, you know, like he hasn't fought with it. And so maybe yeah. he just doesn't under, he doesn't know how fully it feels a part of him. 
he does know how like light it feels in his hand and when he swings it, how quick it feels. But it, for the most part, he's, it seems that he just hasn't fully uh, comprehended how powerful the sword is and how much it's going to help him as a, as a writer. That's yeah. So, yeah. but I mean, that's about all I got to say about these first two chapters. There's, I mean, great description again, you know, really cool to kind of read the process but there's not really much to talk about there. The weird kids and another werecat staring. Um, I guess the other thing is she does sing through him. You know, that's kind of yeah. cool. You yeah, know, that's and, cool. Um, and, and, she, and she did kind of accomplish. I'm not going to give her the whole, for the doubt that she didn't make a sword. Because. Oh, no. Uh, I, <laughs> I get it. It's not her own hands. But okay. you're literally, your mind is still doing the motions. What, what about her reasoning? It's okay because I believe it's okay. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I, I love like, that. Okay. I can't really be bad at that one because, all right. <laughs> yeah. I believe it's okay, so therefore it's okay. <laughs> like, I, I, believe I'm not, I believe I'm not breaking my oath, therefore I'm not. Like, if, if that <sighs> worked. Yeah. Yeah. Then, yeah. So. Yeah. So. But, but, but yeah. and all in all, I think, I mean, I don't think she lied, or I don't think she swore in the ancient language that she would never make a sword again. Or if she did, I'm very, I don't know. But yeah. the point is, is that it's one of those things where if she found it okay, it was okay. And it was okay to her. So therefore, yeah. it made sense. Yeah. So yeah. I think there's, I mean, those are the two things. And, you know, we talked about how much we think a writer in full Aragon really is. So I'm ready to move on. Mm. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on to chapters 52 and 53. Uh, Grooves and Bracers leave taking also not much to say about these. Um, I'm not quite sure what the point of, of this chapter was, Grooves and Bracers. I mean, it's just another sweet moment between Katrina and Warren. And that, that's about it. I'm trying to think of how much time there might have been passed when you know, Katrina's being pregnant and everything with with this in terms of no idea like yeah exactly so um, i'd say I maybe she's been pregnant for three four months now i, I mean i, I would have thought that there would be some type of briefing on the battle plan that we might get to see like obviously there was off uh, out, like outside of what we are told yeah but like i don't know why you'd have that chapter there and not tell us the plan so but, now and, we're, we're just rushing the wall like that's I was say, it's pretty quick i mean like it's yeah, not like he like he dons on his armor goes to the front of the battlefield or his like regiment and charges like it's yeah, not yeah, there's, there's not yeah, much like, more to say to that like that's the chapter really yeah which i mean it's cool it's badass I, I mean i wonder yeah i think this is just to show that like where the progress is at the bard maybe for us as like, a reader yeah, that's that was my thought process as well. It's just like, all right, guess what? The far they're here at this big battle scene again. Yeah, and it's the end of the book. Yeah, so like, um, great. So we're there with Rorn. Um, not much, else, not much else to talk about. Uh, Aragon does go visit Sloane, which um, yes. actually, out of all of this, I think the arc with Sloane has been my favorite because it's been the most interesting to me. Uh-huh. Um. I inherently like that Sloane is not better. Me too. 
Uh, like, I think that was one realistic and two, like, it is still consistent with his character. I really like that he's still a bitter old man. and like that he's still going through his stuff. But I honestly don't think Aragon gave him enough credit for changing. Like, like changing as much as he has? Yeah. Okay. Because, uh, yeah, he's rude and abrasive and doesn't, and he just wants to be left alone. But uh, he is listening. I mean, he evidently is listening to the elves. Yeah. Like when he says, like, he says, doing something with your hands might take something off your mind. And he says, like, you know, you I guess right. you were right. Doing something was, that's like, he's admitting that he's like admitting that the knife is, uh, is helpful. I, mean, I would call that progress. That's fair. Given I, mean, I don't think it might be enough progress, but it definitely is progress no, in terms of. It's not a lot. Like, yeah. I would. It's progress in terms of sheer asshat that, like, it <laughs> was earlier. Yeah. Um, but, like, it's a. I appreciated the balance of this scene. There was a really good balance of serenity and anguish, which um, was very subtle in terms of, like, uh, how Palini set the scene up and uh, where it was, what Sloan was doing. He was doing a very calming action. And uh, that it sort of created, so, all right, sorry, let me explain this. So one of the reasons why I like this specific scene of Aragon visiting Sloan so much is because it has a very, it focuses a lot on um, tone, on the tone of uh, what's being said and how that makes you feel rather than telling you what's going on. So, there's a divide between the serenity of the surrounding and what Sloan's doing and the chaos in his mind. Um, and that is obvious to us from his words and his actions, or sorry, from his words and his thoughts that he narrates to us. That is a, it's a, there's a, there's a schism between that and the surroundings. He's whittling, he's doing something peaceful, he's not doing anything rousing, he's in a peaceful environment and a peaceful place. So, it, like, by setting up that, uh, but by setting up that duality of um, peace and chaos, um, it makes us feel a bit more for Sloane's condition and what he's going through without actually telling us what that is. Um, so, I think this this section right here is a great lesson in symbolism and show don't tell. Um, in terms of uh, just in terms of writing and conveying emotion through not just through telling us what people are feeling, but by showing us, by presenting a contrast to, to put it up against, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Um, and it's very subtle, it's very small, and uh, oftentimes, I think a lot of authors wouldn't have taken the time to do so in this section. Uh, the Palin's thoroughness is, uh, is, is really, was really shining for me in that one section where Aragon visits slow. I really think Again, I also really enjoy the Sloan's art, uh, character art, in terms of, you know, from what we see back in Palakar Valley, uh, to here, he, in my head, he he has become more in tune with himself, and more in tune with his surroundings, and understanding that, you know, as much as, yes, he is, quote unquote, trapped here, he is being cared for and taken care of. You know, yeah. and so for, and therefore he is, in, in my head, he's still being thankful and grateful for that too. He's not, he's not being, yes, he is, a, he is annoyed that like they speak in the ancient language and he can't understand them, but he's not being like 
for the root. He's not saying screw you or I deserve better. Yeah. He, you know, he's understanding the consequences. And I really wished, I was really hoping Aragon would say something for him to recognize it's him. I think that's, I think that was the thing that really annoyed me the most in this okay. session. That okay. I, I was really hoping that we get another interaction between Sloan and Aragon and, and, and see how Sloan reacts to that. Because we talk about this growth and, you know, how he's coming, you know, and he's coming more into it with himself. But if you're faced again with the person that has caused you to be in the circumstance, whether it's a good circumstance or a bad circumstance, you know, people show a very different side of themselves. And so I was really hoping to see that here in terms of would he still be, would he still be really frustrated with Aragon? Or would yeah. he show yeah. gratitude and say, you know, as much as it sucks to not be able to see her again, Katrina, everything like that. It's I'm grateful for what you've done because I've learned to become more patient. I've learned to be calm and, you know, his whittling is very therapeutic is what it is at the end of the day. Yeah. And so I was just hoping that interaction would occur. I think part of the point of it not being is that he's not there yet. That's kind of the point of, of, of this interaction is that Sloan's still not like he's made progress, but he's still not uh, at that point of uh, the saying of, of understanding in terms of like, uh, I can't see her again. And that sucks, but I understand why he did it. He's not there. Okay. He's still he's still bitter over losing everything. He's just made a he's just made a little bit of from what I, the way I see that interject that here. He's just made a bit more progress in terms of how he's adjusting to his environment. I, I'm really curious of what Pony is going to do with Sloan, and I really want to know yeah. if he's going to let him. Yeah. If he's going to let him see Katrina. Is he's going to, you know, I really want. It's like make it an accident, like exactly. Like, maybe really have Sloan really come curious. to the rescue if Katrina's in danger, like. Yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting. I, I think. Yeah. It, yeah. Very again, this is you know like I, I agree with you. This is one of my favorite character arcs uh, of of the story, which is which is really funny because. We see him in the beginning of Aragon. We see him a little bit in Eldest with Roran. And then he gets captured. And we don't see him until the beginning of the third book. And now we're seeing him at the end of the third book. Yeah. And like, you know, like it's just so like, I don't know. It's very intriguing, I guess, personally. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where Palini goes with this arc with Sloan. Um, um, we can take all the guesses we want. It's probably not going to go how we think it's going to go. I wonder if we'll go hardcore redemption arc or just kind of let it trail off. Uh, then again, book four is a big ass book. So yep. uh, it probably covers all of it anyway. Yeah. But that's about all I got for Sloan. You got anything else? Not really for Sloan. No, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it, it's, we just got to wait. It's good to check on him. You know, I'm glad he did. But yep. we just got to wait to see what happens. That's all. Yeah. Um, so for this last little bit, absolutely. I'm sorry. In the all things all coming together, for the amount of time that it took anything to happen throughout this entire book, it's a little annoying to see everything just magically pop. Uh, like the Varden <laughs> just magically are sacking a city now. Yep. The elves just magically show up at Gilead. Yep. I was a little mad about that one. I was like, wait, so they're just in Gilead now. And nobody knew, nobody knew they were going there, and nobody, they, they didn't think to tell anybody, their allies, that they were going to Gilead. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. Yeah. Fine. 
Ormus and Glader are suiting up for battle. Suit up. I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, it, I it definitely know. is. Yeah, it was it was a cool little section. Like, it's not much to say about it because I mean, it's it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and the last big thing here, it's like we finally get we get the name drop and we get the reason why Glader's on the front cover. Yes. Uh, and in one section, just I, I did not expect him to give Aragon and Sephira the Eldenari. I did not either. I was like, wow. That's a big thing. Like that's yeah. that's no small act. It's huge. I really hope they don't lose it in the first battle they get into. I really I was really glad that he didn't drop it as soon as he pretty much puked it up. I thought that was really funny. He almost did. But it's one of those things where like I'm I'm still shocked a little bit because I guess this is what is like I don't even know how to like I, there's so many random thoughts I have on it. I'll I'll let you go first before as I sort mine out. My only thing is, I mean, I would make the argument that I've yet to see Safira or Aragon fall. So you know how we talk about the hero's arc? Right. In book one, he does the death of Brom. In book two, he falls when he learns, he learns of his inheritance to Murtaugh, kind of. And Morzin. And Morzin, kind of. And then in this book, we realize that that's bullshit. He's not actually Morzin's son, so he doesn't even have that conflict anymore, which we've already been over. I would make the argument that Aragon has yet to fall as a character. Okay. Like he's, he's yet to hit that uh, hero falls and has to learn more. We still got that Vault of Souls thing to figure out. Like the, my my thing is my, my shtick here is that Aragon's none of the things none of the bad things that happen have any lasting consequences for him. Right. Like if he loses the egg, <clears throat> then later is the one that suffers for it. Yeah. Not, it doesn't affect him. <laughs> yeah. Like same with the other stuff. Like if if this hat like the situations that Aragon's been in. None of it has affected him. Like he, he lost, he, he lost Garrow off the bat in book one. Yes. And then Brom later on in book one. And uh, the inevitability we did with Brom, yes. It's been two whole books. And like Aragon has yet to really face a serious consequence. Because he lost to Murtog, but nothing happened. Yeah, because Roran like, fucking walked up with a hammer and killed everyone. Again. Yeah. Like nothing, even though he lost, even though Murtaugh let him go, nothing happened because of it. He got injured from Durza when he fought, when he fought him. He still won. And uh, he, he's yet to face consequences of his actions. I think, I think the biggest thing is that he is, he's always being saved. Yeah. yeah. It's not necessarily that he hasn't had to face him, but he's always being saved before he gets to him. So you talk about the Durza thing, Safira and Arya, you know, jump down from and break the star and kind of pretty much rescue him there. Yeah. You know, he, he battles Murtaugh in the burning plains and Murtaugh's like the most I could do for you showing me decency before I have to kill you is show you decency back. Yeah. And then, you know, like you said, Warren gets up and bashes in the twin skulls. Yeah. Which I'm still surprised at that part. Like, how do they not I'm, know I'm, he's there? I'm still mad about that. that um, kind of not, not that he was successful, but the fact that it happened that way, that was, yeah, that was yeah. kind of dumb. Um, Especially against magicians. Everybody knows that magicians are the best thing to beat a Warhammer. Yeah. For, for each Skyrim player. Or you think they'd at least have 
Shut up. Warhammers are way better at Skyrim. I just realized what you said. No. No, but the the only thing to beat them with is magic. With what? Is magic. The only way to beat a Warhammer in Skyrim is with magic. Yeah. And if you don't do it fast enough, guess what? The Warhammer wins. Fast enough. Fast enough. The Warhammer gives you like a full five minutes before you can even get a swing off. That's not true. (laughs) It might be a little bit true. Um... (laughs) But no, it's a, I, guess, I guess I see what you're saying. But I think the biggest thing is that he is, it's not necessarily a, the, the typical hero arc of he falls and he has to have help or he has to learn. It's that he has learned through many different actions of grown. I mean, I think you know that too. It's not he's necessarily... Just, grown, I, it, I he's grown as a person. Not he's definitely grown as a hero. <laughs> Since when? What, what look frame at, are we... Look at, look at him in book one. What frame are we talking look, about look at, look at him in book one, when he just wants to go out and kill the Rizak. Yeah. All he is Since book is one, a yes. mad-driven kid who wants to go kill the Rizak, right? Yes. Through, no. From book one to now, he's grown in terms of understanding politics and keeping his mouth shut and yep. supporting the side he's supposed to and not just... And, and, and he understands his fealty towards Mesueda. Yeah. He also understands that Okay, politics is about the most I got right there. That's pretty much it. But he still learned that. Like that's a lot to learn for a kid. Yeah, it He's is sixteen. It is. No, you're you're right. He has made progress in that regard. But in terms of like, in terms of like the hero shtick, take his mom. That's a pretty thing. Pretty big thing to get over. Yes, she might like. like it doesn't yeah, matter. He got over like two minutes. <laughs> I mean, come on. He spent it's less still time having to get that. over it though. It doesn't matter how fast you get time. over something. Spent, yes, it is. It is. It is less. What, time. do you like, think? Do you think the reason? <clears throat> okay, take me for instance. Less time take, on his mother than we did on that on that section. <laughs> like, yes, but he also had to do. I mean, he also got hit with you know a wave of glory that Morrison wasn't his father. Yeah, which was dumb. Okay, I've already aired my beef about Morrison not being his actual dad beef. there. Okay. But I've, I've already aired my beef there because, and that's a, that my point there is that even if something like conflict with Aragon's character, once again, I'll clarify with his character, conflict within his character has amounted to nothing because somebody always takes the blame off. <laughs> like, conflict with the only, like I said, the only conflict with his character is the fact that Morrison was his dad and he didn't like his lineage. Oh, well, guess what? It's not your lineage anyway, so you're all good, kid. Like, you, you, he doesn't have to come to terms with anything since Brahm's death. Like, I guess I should say since, since Murtaugh's change, I guess, is what he had to deal with. But, like... What, what do you hope for? I don't even know. Like, in terms of Aragon, what I would like to see from him... <clears throat> actually, no. What I would like to see from him moving forward is different from what I would have liked to see from him in the past. Because moving forward, when we're wrapping up with the big plot stuff, then it, it becomes less about his character and more about the actual act of being a hero. Um, in the past, I would have <clears throat> liked a bit more to prove his... Uh, to, to maintain and to improve his skills. And... Uh, <clears throat> Once again, a bit more autonomy and a bit more 
consequence for the stuff that he does or doesn't do. And if this stuff sometimes, like, because Aragon doesn't make that many, he doesn't have to make that many, that numerically many consequential choices because it's very much so go do this or we lose, go do this or we lose. Um, Sloan's really the only like biggest, and Sloan and Elva to an extent. But what I would like to have seen from him is stuff that doesn't work out. Like that he has to deal with that he can't, um, that he learned. So essentially, I want to see him learn the hard way. Yeah. Um, I, I guess that's what it boils down to is that I, in terms of characters and how they learn and how they grow, I would have liked to see Aragon learn the hard way a lot more because yeah. he, he, he learned, if I'm, if I'm remembering what he learned through his mistakes, it was that. He can't overuse magic, a pretty classic one. And um, through his own mistakes, drawing a blank on anything else. Elva. And that he needs to be more responsible with magic. Although, although, yeah, I mean, I would argue he's yet to face he's facing your real consequences from that either. I mean, I get that. Like, he never had to actually interact and deal with Elva, but he did have to, like, no, he had to keep his promise. He had to heal her, but but that didn't work, and now we haven't heard from her since. So you just want him to to fill the shoes that he was meant to fill. Currently, like currently, because we're we're in book, we're going into book four. Yeah, big plot stuff is wrapping up. Yeah. You just want him to be able to fill the shoes that he was meant to fill in terms of being a hero. In ter- yes, in terms of just sort of the complexity of this character. Okay. Um, and more than. Just go here, do this. Like he's essentially like a Skyrim main character. Go yeah. here, do this, get this thing, bring it back to the person. Like that's very much Skyrim in yeah. um, all of its entirety. Pretty much. But like, like I appreciate Aragon's character. He's made a lot of personal growth, but his personal growth hasn't come really at that much of a consequence. Like realistically, personal growth comes from messing up. And he doesn't really mess up and when he does there's no consequences for it at least that haven't hit yet he messed up with alpha yeah and so far there haven't been consequences and that's like the biggest one where there could be and we, i guess we might get those later on but um then you know he messed up once trying to summon too much magic out in the desert in book one and, and that was more of just a lesson in terms of like you can't overuse your magic magic um but in terms of like actually like like because that's the thing is characters characters resemble people characters essentially resemble the compacted characteristics of humanity okay in a base form in terms of like like uh is it like a generalized over it's like a generalized synopsis of humanity is what okay. characters are um, and different parts are highlighted depending on the author's wishes. But Aragon doesn't learn like a regular person because regular people we learn from mistakes, at least in terms of what we do. Like th- that's how the vast majority of humans learn is from fucking up, right? <laughs> and having to deal with the consequences. Yeah. And the thing is, it's not that he doesn't fuck up; he does, but he does in very minor ways, and there's no consequences for him to deal with. Bad of hits so far in terms of Elva. 
And Roran's the same way. Although Roran actually, you know, Roran did get whipped. Like, he, he got uh, – yeah. he had his lashes. Like, he's had more con- – Roran's faced more consequences than Aragon <laughs> for his actions. Yeah. The, the reason that's, – that's the reason why I, I have trouble following Aragon's development is because Aragon's development is very clear and cut, and it's not very messy. Okay. And um, once again, I'm not like just like hounding for bloodshed and just wanting everything to go wrong. <laughs> but the most convincing way the characters act yeah. is that they learn from mistakes, and that more importantly, they make them on a bigger scale. Because like he's fucked up all the time in terms of how he's handled a social situation, which is accurate. I'm not saying that shouldn't be in the book, <laughs> but in terms of his actions that have messed him up. That have set him back. There's, there's not been setbacks, okay. except for Murtog taking his sword, and we got an entire book about getting a new one. Yeah, very much. So that, that's where I'm coming from with this. In terms, of, like, I'm sorry for the, for the bit of a rant there, no, but like, good. that, that's what frustrates me about Aragon's character is that he is the stuff that he does do most of the time makes sense. He does dumb stuff, and it makes him more human. Like, it makes him more relatable because he does dumb things, and you can realize, oh, yeah, everybody does dumb things, but he doesn't fuck up that much. Right. Like, yeah. if we say we, we, we make fun of him for fucking up a social situation. Yes. But that has no consequences, like, at least in the terms of the book. Like, yeah. Um, and the biggest way that we, as people learn, is by up. making is by fucking up and having to deal with the consequences. That's fair. Also, nobody's died since uh, Ashahad. I'm not saying death is the only way for characters to suffer consequences, but in terms of people Aragon cares about, yeah, imminent danger and threats and stuff going wrong has not happened. That's fair. Yeah, I didn't think about that. And not saying that you know, threatening the people that a character cares about is the only way for consequences to happen. It's a very common way, but it's also a very effective one. And in two books, no, I guess again, I guess Frothgar, but like, eh, that wasn't a direct result of Aragon's mistake. Yeah. Okay. I think I think Aragon's gonna have to learn to be more conscious conscientious of like how much power he wields within the world more so than his actual actions if that makes sense yeah so like i think i really he's hope, gonna build up yeah I, I so you think it's gonna be do you think there's gonna be a fall within book four like an actual fall yeah. and then he's gonna have to learn i think i think he's gonna gear up and try and use Brahm's advice, and he's going to take on Galvatorx fairly early on, and try and using Brahm's advice and trying to use everything at his disposal, and he's going to try his hardest and face Galvatorx really early on, and he's going to fail miserably and have to readjust where he's coming from there. I, that's the most likely thing I could see happening towards the beginning of book four. I think I have a strong feeling there's another reason why, like, Glaciers on the front's cover and that, you know, they're going to battle. I have a feeling that, like, the end of this book, they're going to die. Glacier and Orimus. Are your prediction? Yeah, I know. And, and, but and then I think I really want to know if they're very curious as if to where Gamma Twerks is in all of this because yeah. 
Because let's say, so Ormus and Glade are going to Gilead with the elves. Murtog and Thorn are most likely in Finster ready to fight off the Varden, help fight off the Varden. Most likely. I'm not saying that it's for sure, but that's my assumption because where else would they be? Right? Unless you're going yeah. to be Gilead and Gilead. But I think Oramis and Gavatorx is still in Uribane just chilling out. And so I'm, I'm trying to think what is occurring. And, and I guess in my head, besides their age, how could Glagier and Oramis actually die without? another rider dragon being there to compete with you know like, yeah. especially if they talk about their at the stone how much energy is in that stone that they have in the pommel of their sword you know yeah. like, like how much like if you're saying that can you know help you guys survive who's who's there that's gonna help who's there i hate to say it, who's there who's gonna kill you right and, yeah and and, yeah. and, I, and I, I believe in your prediction too that they're gonna die at the end of the book or or, or they're gonna die i don't know if it's gonna be at the end of this book or the beginning of the fourth book but you know i I think i don't think it's gonna be much longer for them to be alive especially with how much has occurred in terms of him giving the eldenari and him and and him telling him that you know now you're the one to train and then just going to battle in general i think that's a big action of in in their stand in their stances almost submission it's almost that scenario when obi-wan in uh, a new hope is fighting Darth Vader and the Death Star, and they're fighting, and then he just looks at Luke and he puts his lightsaber away, which I think was yeah. was really stupid. Yeah. But it's that it's that it's that it's that moment of going into battle, knowing that you're gonna die, and just accepting your fate. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. Um... Guess we'll have to wait until next section. Yeah, honestly. Like I Yep. And uh last chapter, chapter 54, flight. Big battle at the end of the book. There's a battle at the end of the book? You're not you funny. It's gonna happen? You're not funny. I'm very funny. Well, let us reiterate. What we I forgot when we said this. I do I do want to say that's everyone. In the notes, Armin writes, big battle at the end of the book. Asterix, he goes, sigh. That's exactly how it feels. We have already expressed our sentiment about not wanting this to be a very long, slow drag throughout the entire book and then one big spike at the end. Like it was last book and the book before. Uh, okay, okay. I, I do want to ask this then. How would you have written this differently? Okay, well, first of all, you gotta have you gotta have a spike at the end of the book. So what would your spike be if it wasn't a fight? Okay. Okay. First of all, for context, I would not have put nearly as much in this book as Pelion did. So like a lot of the stuff in the middle there would be a lot different. Um, And in terms of spikes at the end of the book, I have no problem with spikes at the end of the book. It's just the fact that nothing happens (laughs) for the vast majority of the middle of the book. Yeah. Until the very end. So, like, my beef is more the fact that nothing that it is pretty steady and even throughout the entire middle of the book, and then there's a big spike at the end. My my issue is not the fact that there's a spike at the end; it's the fact that nothing leads up to it. Oh, okay. Uh, or the fact that it's very, very like low and very 
not very plot heavy, plot important, at least in terms of the grand scheme of things, until the very end. And that's been the case for all three of these books. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, most most people that I've talked to, correct me if I'm wrong, has been like, yeah, there's that long little section in the middle where nothing really happens. And that's been books one, two, and three. Yeah. Do you and think there's this big battle at the end? It's yeah. Like, I don't care about the spike at the end. Yes, you have to end with a bang. It's more the fact that it's always let it's always pervaded by this long, slow, middling section. But if I was gonna write this differently, remember, I only need the published author. I am not, this is opinion. So yes. to reiterate, I, I feel like it's been a while since we've since we've reiterated that claim. I would not have had the plot point with the dwarves at all. Okay. I probably would have left out, I would have devoted less time to the sword. Um, okay. And in the middle there, I would have had working with the pieces the Palini already had. And bear in mind, I'm coming up with this on the fly, is working with the pieces the Palini had. I would have uh, had Thorn and Murtagh threaten do, do Weldon Varden. Um, about halfway through the book earlier. But, um, okay. So, which would have had, it, it would have t- probably taken a lot of manipulating in terms of the other pieces that work. Because remember, I'm, but my first thought would be to have, while the elves are away, to have Thorn and Murtaugh go after, try to go after Elismera. Right. Um, or at least to force try to go after Elismera. Now, yeah. once again, I'm working on the fly here. Um, that's the idea that I would have had for the middle of the book. Um, or potentially having, see, I don't know where Paladin is going with this, so I don't know the effects that it would have, but potentially having Orvis and Glader leave earlier. Okay. Um, and maybe die earlier. Oh, okay. Or have some type of betrayal by them. Most of the shit on here. Um, I, think, I, think but, a big, I think a big thing that I would have had Again, obviously not a published author, you know, Helen he is, and he's a great one. Uh, but I think I would have had another attack on the Varden when they were in Serta chilling. Yeah. And like everyone's going out, you know, killing convoys. I would have had another attack and when Aragon was in Furthender, and that's when they discover that Aragon's actually not there. And have them, and have like the empire almost, you know, set siege on the Varden now, you yeah. know, and, and that kind of a outbreak. Because yeah, that would have been I, that would have caused a huge riot. You know, Baragon would have had to run back first. You know, like it would have been one of those scenarios. So yeah, um, I think I would have made the initial attack much more effective yeah. in the beginning. Um, maybe having them like do a full, full retreat because also we haven't heard anything. Like, maybe it's just been so long since we've had to read these sections, but we haven't heard anything about the like the restless dead that don't feel pain. That's true. But those are a thing still yeah. like, that we don't know about. Like it's been so long, I almost forgot about them. Yeah. Um, but I would have definitely, I would have had a um, a serious loss towards the middle of the book. Uh, whether that's the elves losing um through some manipulations of galvatorix maybe uh or doesn't become king sorry i know it's not like a, it's not a normal loss but orc doesn't become the king 
And now you have Maybe to do... you're just like the dwarves, they removed. Although, once again, I'm not entirely sure I would have kept the dwarven plot point in there. It just takes so much time. Yeah. Um, hmm. That's definitely something yeah. I'd have to think about. But uh, it just like, I, I would have had another, uh, another a, a spike in the middle or a recovery period okay. that would have had about the same tone as the middle of of this book already um and then maybe another big uh maybe another big build up and not a conclusion at the end of this book but another big up a big build up to the beginning of the fourth okay it's it it right it like a spike it's a build up yeah okay like um, type style thing. yeah and that might be just to change the format of the books a bit yeah uh, still have 40 pages structure. left sorry you still have 40 pages left Helene's a great author. Yes. It could still be a yes. build-up to the end of the to the beginning of fourth. And I mean, granted, we know it's a big battle scene. And as great as Pellini's writing is for battles, I don't know if he's gonna make a battle scene last 40 some pages. He's already no. joining a battle, right? Like Aragon's yeah. already joining a battle. So I expect the battle scenes to take maybe 10, 10, 15 pages. And we well, still that left depends. That depends on whether or not this specific battle scene that Aragon is dropping into is the actual final one. Well, I don't know. I don't think it's the final one. I think it's just the scene that's there, and there's going to be some something happening in this battle scene that could cause a fall, but I don't know. But it, it, what it could do is it provides another base and another build-up for what's going to occur in book four. Yeah. With all the pieces the Paladin is presented, the way that I, once again, not the published author here, but the way that I would have thrown this is uh, I would have a big build-up, possibly a cliffhanger at the end of this book, Go pick up right where we left off in the fourth book, keep going from there, and have something disastrous happen. Yeah. Um, somebody important dies, maybe Nisueda, maybe Roran, or missing later, and have a sort of chaos period right afterwards where they have to figure out um, where to go from there because something went heinously wrong. Um, so that's where I would be coming from going into book four um, and having them sort of scramble for a recovery. Um, yeah. And the like first half of the middle of the four. Okay. Um, one, okay. Like I said, in terms of structure, it's difficult to work with because of how specific Pelling structure is. But yeah. um, this isn't to say we don't enjoy the series, people. We do enjoy we the are. series. We do. It's long. And I, I specifically do. <laughs> one of the reasons why, like, I, I feel we need to justify this. Some of the reasons why we, there's some of the reasons why I critique it so much is because this is one of my arts and this is one of my passions and like just literature and fantasy in general. And like, I love it so much that I have very intense feelings about it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I am very much enjoying this series. I'm definitely going to go back and read it at a normal pace on my yes. own when we're done with all of it. Yeah, me too. Maybe not immediately, but um, sort of see if there's a different feel of it. I'm going to see if I can't um, find... I, I know they made the audiobook for Aragon. I'm not sure if they made the audiobook for the other two. I'm much more into audiobooks, so I might just listen to the audiobook. If I can find the other two, I'll do that. Or the three, yeah. I'll do that too. But no, it's it's definitely one of those series that I think at a normal pace, we'd, we wouldn't feel so... I'm not so sure, to be honest. So, I mean, you, you already heard Red. Red just skipped all of the Aragon parts. <laughs> And some people just skip all the roaring parts. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's fair. We'll see. But uh, that's about all I've got. But yeah, yeah like, same here. I do, I do enjoy this book, and that's the point of the book. And therefore, you know, it's serving its purpose very well. 
there's just uh yeah, there's just there's some things that i don't even take issue with it's not that serious it just yeah so thank you again for letting us rant and tangent as always uh yeah I don't think there's much more to say. We don't have, we have one more section. We're going to cover the rest of the book and I'm going to work on trying to get Bellini back on the show as we have in the past. Uh, but that being said though, we, if, if, and when he is able to, we'll see. Uh, we probably won't start the fourth book until he gets on. I really enjoyed not reading anything new. Yeah. Like I really enjoyed yeah. just reading, finishing when we did it with uh, Eldest, when we finished Eldest and we had him before we started Prison Gear. I really enjoyed that because we just kind of left with it and not knowing anything about the fourth book. It also helps him not know and helps him know what to not say in the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. But with that being said, I appreciate everyone listening. Armin, do you have any updates or news or anything that you want to try and share out there? I do not. As always, thank you all so much for your support and for your listenership. We really appreciate it. And uh, as always reach out to our email, if you would like, uh, with any questions, comments, concerns, we will most likely get to it. Yeah, <laughs> not the greatest there. at that. <laughs> uh, but uh, as always, we appreciate your support. That's a wrap. Flights the Allegasium is produced by Chip and Arm, hosted by Chip and Arm, created by Chip and Arm, edited by Chip. Music is by Oscar Barbeza. Website is by Chip. Illustrations are by Birdie Taylor. Thank you for listening and have a great day.